Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Twice bought by R.M. Ballantyne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mark Thornton, Miranda, New Zealand. Twice Bought, Chapter 5 When our hero found himself in a hole, pitch dark and barely large enough to permit of his creeping on hands and knees, he felt a sudden sensation of fear, of undefinable dread come over him, such as one might be supposed to experience on awakening to the discovery that he'd been buried alive. His first impulse was to shout for deliverance, but his manhood returned to him, and he restrained himself. Groping his way cautiously along the passage or tunnel, which descended at first steeply, he came to a part which he could feel was regularly built over with an arch of brickwork or masonry, and the sound of running water overhead told him that this was a tunnel under the rivulet. As he advanced, the tunnel widened a little, and began to ascend. After creeping what he judged to be a hundred yards or so, he thought he could see a glimmer of light like a faint star in front of him. It was the opening to which Betty had referred. He soon reached it and emerged into the fresh air. As he raised himself and drew a long breath of relief, the words of his deliverer seemed to start up before him in letters of fire. Use your freedom to escape from death, but much more to escape from sin. I will, so help me God, he exclaimed, clasping his hands convulsively and looking upward. In the strength of the new-born resolution thus induced by the Spirit of God, he fell on his knees and tried to pray. Then he rose and sat down to think, strangely forgetful of the urgent need there was for flight. Meanwhile, Gashford and his men proceeded to question Paul Bevan and his daughter. The party included, among others, Fred Wesley, Paddy Flinders, and Crosby. Gashford more than suspected the motives of the first two in accompanying him, but did not quite see his way to decline their services, even if he possessed the power to do so. He consoled himself, however, with the reflection that he could keep a sharp eye on their movements. "'No, no, Bevan,' he said, when the man brought out a case-bottle of rum and invited him to drink. "'We have other work on hand just now.' We have traced that young thief Brixton to this hut, and we want to get hold of him. A thief, is he? returned Bevan, with a look of feigned surprise. Well, now, that is strange news. Tom Brixton don't look much like a thief, do he? Appealing to the bystanders. There must be some mistake, surely. 
There's no mistake, said Gashford with an oath. He stole a bag of gold from my tent. To be sure he dropped it in his flight, so I've got it back again. But that don't affect his guilt. But surely, Mr. Gashford, said Bevan slowly, having been hurriedly told in a whisper by Betty what she'd done for Tom, he was anxious to give his friend as much time as possible to escape. Surely you've come by no loss, so you can afford to let the poor young feller off this time. No, he can't, shouted Gashford fiercely. These mean pilferers have become a perfect pest at the diggings, and we intend to stop their little game, we do, by stopping their windpipes when we catch them. Come, don't shilly-shally any longer, Paul Bevan. He's here, no mistake, so you'd better hand him over. Besides, you owe us something, you know, for coming to your help against the Redskins in the nick of time. Well, as to that I am much obliged, though after all, it wasn't to help me you came. No matter, exclaimed the other impatiently. You know he's here, and you're bound to give him up. But I don't know he's here, and I can't give him up, because why? He's escaped. Escaped? Impossible. There's only one bridge to this mound. He's not crossed that since we arrived, I'll be bound. There's a sentry on it now. But an active young fellow can jump, you know. No. He couldn't jump over the creek unless he was a human flea or a rocky mountain goat. Come, since you won't show us where he is, we'll take the liberty of searching your premises. But stay. Your daughter's got the name of being a religious girl. If there's any truth in that, she'd be above telling a lie. Come now, Betty, tell us, like a good girl. Is Tom Brixton here? No, he's not here, replied the girl. Where is he, then? I do not know. That's false. You do know. But come, lads, we'll search, and here's a cellar to begin with. He laid hold of the iron ring of the trap-door, opened it, and seizing a light, descended, followed by Bevan, Crosby, Flinders, and one or two others. Tossing the lumber about, he finally rolled aside the barrels, ranged beside the wall, until the entrance to the subterranean way was discovered. Ho, oh, oh, ho, he cried lowering the light and gazing into it. Here's something. Here's something anyhow. After peering into the dark hole for some time, he felt with his hand as far as his arm could reach. Mind he don't bite, suggested Paddy Flinders, in a tone that drew a laugh from the bystanders. Hand me that stick, Paddy, said Gashford, and keep your jokes to a more convenient season. Ah, oh, then tis always a convenient season with me, sir, replied Paddy, with a wink at his companion, as he handed the stick. Does this hole go in far? he asked, after a fruitless poking about with the stick. Aye, a long way. More than a hundred yards, returned Bevan. Well, I'll have a look in it. Saying which, Gashford pushed the light as far as he could reach, and then, taking a bowie knife between his teeth, attempted to follow. We say attempted because he was successful only in a partial degree. It must be remembered that Gashford was an unusually large man, and that Tom Brixton had been obliged to use a little force in order to gain an entrance. When, therefore, the huge bully had thrust himself in about as far as his waist, he stuck hard and fast, so that he could neither advance nor retreat. He struggled violently, and a muffled sound of shouting was heard inside the hole, but no one could make out what was said. "'Och, the poor creature!' exclaimed Paddy Flinders, with a look of undone commiseration. 
"'What'll we do for him and all and all?' "'Let's try to pull him out,' suggested Crosby. They tried and failed, although as many as could manage it laid hold of him. "'Sure he minds me of a stiff cork in a bottle,' said Flinders, wiping the perspiration from his forehead. "'And oh, what a most awful crack he'll make when he does come out. "'Let's give another heave, boys.' They gave another heave, but only caused the muffled shouting inside to increase. "'Och, the poor creature's stretching out like an injun-rubber man. "'Sure he's a foot longer than he used to be. "'Him that was a sight too long already,' said Flinders. "'Let's try to shove him through,' suggested the baffled Crosby. Failure again followed their united efforts, except as regards the muffled shouting within, which increased in vigour and was accompanied by no small amount of kicking by what of Gashford remained in the cellar. "'I'm afeard his legs'll come off altogether if we try to pull harder than we've done,' said Crosby, contemplating the huge and helpless limbs of the victim with a perplexed air. "'What a chance, boys!' suddenly exclaimed Flinders. "'To pay off old scores, and a tremendous wallopin' to give him.' We could do it easy in five or six minutes, and then lave him in there to think for the rest of his life. As no one approved of Paddy's proposal, it was finally resolved to dig the big man out, and a pick and shovel were procured for that purpose. Contrary to all expectations, Gashford was calm, almost subdued when his friends at last set him free. Instead of storming and abusing everyone, he said quietly but quickly, Let's search the bush now. He can't be far off yet and there's moonlight enough. Leading the way, he sprang up the cellar stair, out at the hut door, and across the bridge, followed closely by his party. Hurroo! yelled Paddy Flinders, as if in the irrepressible ardour of the chase, but in reality to give Brixton intimation of the pursuit, if he should chance to be within earshot. The well-meant signal did indeed take effect, but it came too late. It found Tom still seated in absorbed meditation. Rudely awakened to the consciousness of his danger and his stupidity, he leapt up and ran along the path that Betty had described to him. At the same moment it chanced that Crosby came upon the same path at its riverside extremity, and in a few moments each ran violently into the other's arms, and both rolled upon the ground. The embrace that Crosby gave the youth would have been a creditable embrace even to a black bear, but Tom was a match for him, as he was then in a condition of savage despair. He rolled the rough digger over on his back, half-strangled him, and bumped his shaggy head against the conveniently situated root of a tree. But Crosby held on with the tenacity of a sticking-plaster, shouting wildly all the time, and before either could subdue the other, Gashford and his men, coming up, stopped the combat. It were vain attempting to describe the conflict of Brixton's feelings, as they once more bound his arms securely behind him, and led him back to Paul Bevan's hut. The thought of death while fighting with man or beast had never given him much concern, but to be done to death by the rope as a petty thief was dreadful to contemplate, while to appear before the girl he loved, humiliated and bound, was in itself a sort of preliminary death. Afterwards, when confined securely in the cellar and left to himself for the night, with a few pine branches as a bed, the thought of home and mother came to him with overwhelming power, 